0: Well, good morning, and welcome again one more time to Encounter Church. My name is Dirk, a preaching pastor here at Encounter. We are so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, we're in a series right now called "Twisted." It's all about uh, it's all about unwrapping or maybe untwisting uh, God's, as we're calling it, not so hidden truth in His Word. You see, the idea of this series is that we've all misinterpreted or misunderstood, maybe even mishandled or, or twisted things in the Bible to to make them turn into something or mean something that God never actually meant for them to mean in the first place. And, and point and case is this passage that we're going to get to in just a minute. I'm going to put it on the screen and have you uh, read it with me together in, in just a minute. But, but I want to set it up for you with this, that I think this is one of the most twisted, one of the most misused Bible passages in, in, in the entire Bible. And the reason why I think it's so incredibly important for us to talk about this today is because today it's graduation season. And it's this verse that we're going to read in just a minute that's the verse that gets written, I think, in more graduation cards than in any other In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and say all other passages of the Bible combined. And we may be guilty, I know I have, of like writing this in. And we're going to take a look at it. And as we said last week, as we dig into these passages of the Bible, as we dig into these stories and we see how they're mishandled or how they're twisted, uh, what the promise is, is that the truth of whatever it is, after we untwist it or unravel it, the truth of what's there, I think is even better, is even more encouraging It is even more powerful than whatever we have twisted it into for the simple fact is that that message is the message that God has for us. And that, by definition, makes it such an incredible passage for us to take a look at. So I want, us to, I want us to look at it together, and I want us just to kind of get it out of this system before we see it in its context, before we try to untwist everything. Let's just get it on the screen. This is, of course, Jeremiah 29, 11. This is a passage of the Bible that a lot of you don't even need to look up. You don't even need to read along with it. You just know it by heart because it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future, and, it, and it's, I guess, that that future that I want to highlight today and say, what, what in the world is that future all about? Because I remember when I was a high school student graduating, and, and I got the stack of graduation cards from my friends and family members, you know, from aunts and uncles and cousins and everybody that, that I invited to an open house because I wanted 20 bucks from, no, I'm just <laughs> I get these stacks of cards and flipping through it, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I'm going to ballpark it at about half of them have this line in it in reference that future. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I believe my family right, when they told me this. And I thought, this is tremendous, right, because there's a hope and there's a future ahead of me, and this is gonna be great. And then, I, and then I enrolled and went to college, and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to be when I grow up, which is why I'm doing this, right? No, I'm just, just kidding, I do but, but I knew maybe, you know, I love Jesus, and so I made the mistake of thinking that a Christian theology course would teach me more about Jesus all the time. So I enroll in this thing, and I take my first exam, my first test. Now, it wasn't just the first test of the class, although it was. It was the first test of my entire college career. And I remember this exam. And I was so pumped because I stayed up like all night, you know, studying it, cramming for it, making sure that, that I knew that material inside and out. And I did. And I remember getting that exam back. And I remember flipping to the back of it. And I am never going to forget the exact like typeface script that my professor used to draw in with a dark red pen a 65%. I was failing at that. At, I was failing at Christian theology. And for some of you, that's like, it eh, that kind of sounds about right. Uh, it confirms what we had suspicions about. But it wasn't just that, though. Remember, this was the first test that I had taken as a college, as a newfound college student. And so I didn't have nightmares only about failing out of this class, but about failing out of like school in general. And then I'm like, what in the world am I going to do? So I look at a passage like this that was written so many times in my graduation cards and say, what happened to my hope? What happened to my future? What happened to God's plans to, to prosper me and to give me all of these things? Because it seemed like the future that was in store for me at the time was bleak. It seemed like I wasn't getting more options about my future getting put on the table, but fewer. It seemed like the picture ahead wasn't as much hopeful as it really was just dismal. And so what in the world can a passage like that mean? So the danger as well about the future is that it's not just about a high school graduation and a bad freshman test, which I eventually bounced back from. No, the, the danger... The danger isn't just about, like, what happens in the high school or the first couple of years of college. Some of you are there right now, or you're going to be, or you have been. You know that life is longer, and you have a chance to bounce back. But what happens when, when the next graduation comes, right? And now, you're, and now you're, like, 22, maybe 24, 5, something like that, and you're supposed to have life figured out. You're supposed to know what you're going to do next. You're supposed to have, have plans, you're supposed to have plans that God is going to prosper. You're supposed to have plans that God is supposed to speak into and give you hope in a future. And everybody writes this verse, Jeremiah 29, in those graduation cards, and you, you get out and you get on the other side, in the real world, at least that's what everybody is calling it, and you've been there for 10 or 20 years, and you still don't have a clue what God's hope for you might be, what God's, what God's future might be for you. This is a true story. A while ago, I was driving around with uh, with an acquaintance. Uh, he had offered uh, to give me a ride, and it was a little ways away. So, you know, I accepted. And it's the kind of person I didn't know really well. I just kind of knew a few like facts about him, a few things about him, but I didn't know him all that well. Which sometimes makes riding in a car for somebody like me, who just tries to like fill the air with conversation all the time, it, it can make it kind of awkward because I don't know like what the next thing to ask or, or tell him would be, as if I needed to be talking all the time. You know, you figure things out. But we're riding around. I was in the passenger seat. He was, in, he was driving the car. And I remember we were driving along, and I didn't know much about him, so I asked him, like, it kind of blurred out, hey, I, I heard you got married recently. Like, that's awesome. How's it going? And he pauses. He doesn't say anything. In fact, he doesn't say anything for about a mile, which is, inc- for me, right, incredibly, like, Awkward that I stumbled upon something. But he doesn't say anything for so long. And then when he when he finally does, he just he kind of does one of those sighs. And he he says without taking his eyes off the road, he just says, you know, it's hard. It's hard. Nobody ever told me how hard this was going to be. They told me that, the, that this was going to be a honeymoon stage. They told me that this is going to be. The best thing of my life. They told me it's like, it's like living with your best friend, except we're just different people. And I'm, I'm coming to terms a hundred different ways with, with just how different of people we are. Nobody told me that it was gonna be so hard. And now I look back at this verse and I wonder how many people, how many times was this verse written in one of his wedding day cards? don't worry, there's a hope and there's a future. And then what makes it, and then just to up the ante just this much more and, and to almost like twist the knife or put salt in the wound, what makes it just so much worse is the next couple of lines in verse 12. The next line, it says, then, then you will call on me and come and pray to me. This is God speaking, and, and I'll listen to you. And then this line is what gets me. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with, with all your heart, you see, because of, because of what that line means, right? Is the reason why I didn't prosper as a, as a new college student or the reason why many of you, right, just didn't immediately find your calling like right when you got into, into the real world or, or the reason why marriage didn't come as easy to you as it did for some other people or, or the reason why you didn't prosper or the reason why you didn't have a hope or you didn't immediately have a future, you see, it wasn't God's fault. It wasn't him holding on. It's like, in addition to being broke, in addition to being sick, in addition to not knowing why God put you on this planet, you also have the guilt of looking at it and going, well, well I guess I didn't seek God with all my heart. Like, I guess I'm not working hard enough at this. I guess I'm not praying enough. I guess I'm not reading the Bible enough. I guess I'm not doing small groups enough. I, I guess I'm not... Enough. Period. Friends, this morning we are gonna absolutely destroy this verse. <laughs> whatever you mean for whatever you think it means. What I wanted to do this morning is to read the verse in its context. I want us to see what God has in store for us here. And chances are, if you've opened up a card with that verse inside of it, and friends, there's lots of us, me included, that have written this verse in a card, and, and did not understand its total implications when I wrote it down. If that's you, I have good news. This verse means absolutely nothing, what you thought that it meant, what I thought that it meant, but the truth that God has in store for us is so much infinitely better than all of that the last week we kicked off this series, Twisted. And remember, we took a look at one of the parables of Jesus. And when we looked at it, we gave our first, like, twisted tip, you know, for reading the Bible. Because the last thing that I want to do throughout this series is to discourage you from reading the Bible. Like, I don't want you to kind of walk away and go, I guess we just can't know what it means, so we'll just wait for Dirk to talk about it on Sunday, someday. No, no, I don't. It's better to just, like, I don't know, keep on reading. It's better to do that than than to not read it at all. So we're kind of doing these twisted tips on social, and then also here in So the first one we took like this parable that Jesus told. And remember the first twisted tip was about keeping Jesus at the center. Put Jesus at the protagonist of the story. Like, you can't go wrong there. Because because every verse, every passage, every story in the Bible, every book of the Bible, the whole Bible, and I'd say even creation itself, it all points to Jesus at the center. So if Jesus isn't making an appearance in whatever you're reading or you can't see the Jesus lens, it just simply means you got to ask somebody. And maybe that looks like Googling it, probably not, or reading a book about it, that's better, or asking somebody about it. Is a really good thing too. So keep Jesus at the center. That was our first twisted tip. To t- Today it's about simply reading a little, a little more of the context. Because what we can see when we read it through kind of a historical angle on what's going on, and what we can see by maybe reading the verses immediately before it and after it, we can start to piece together what in the world, what in the world we're actually reading about. So the first piece is a historical piece. If you want to, you can flip to Jeremiah chapter 29. There's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. The words are gonna be on the screen behind me, though. But before we read to the, we'll go to the Bible passage, just kind of the historical lens that, that we're gonna go through today is... Uh, is what's happening in the nation, what's happening in the story of God is that the people, the Israelites now, are, are like taken off into exile. We, we hit on this a little bit in Nehemiah's day. This is like 150 years before Nehemiah's time, if that helps at all, if you've been around here for a little while. But, but what's going on is that the people were, uh, were living in the city of Jerusalem and kind of the surrounding area, the nation of Israel, and they, they kept, they were so disobedient, so consistently that God said, for your good, I'm gonna simply, like, take a time out. I'm gonna remove you from this place, remove you from this city, and get a fresh start somewhere else before bringing you back. This looked like, for them, this looked like the Babylonians, the global superpower at the time, coming in and and completely wiping out Jerusalem, completely wiping out the city, and taking the best of the best, the creme de la creme of people, and, like, carting them off and bringing them to Babylon to, to live in exile, now, as you can imagine, the people did not enjoy this so much. <laughs> this was not a comfortable experience. They did not like living in exile, mainly as slaves uh, doing the hard labor in Babylon. They didn't love that so much. So, so they started asking each other, they started asking God, like, like when is this going to be over? When is my time out going to be finished? When can I just go back home Again. And two voices arise to the forefront. Two voices are voices that are speaking up and telling them when the timeout is going to be done, when they can go back home. The first one we read about, you can read it on your own if you want, Jeremiah 28, the chapter before. The first one, his name is Hananiah. Hananiah was a prophet. He claimed to be the mouthpiece, the speaker of, uh, on God's part. And he said, I have great news. Hanani speaks up to all these people suffering and infliction and pain and exile, and he speaks up and he says, the great news is is that God has spoken a word to me to share with you that this will all be over in just two years. He goes, two years, it's all it's gonna take before we can escape this. We can be done with this. The pain will be gone just shortly. So just hang in there. Like don't settle in, don't plant anything because you're not gonna be around to reap the good harvest that year three anyway. Don't build houses. Don't plan on being here long enough to to like get married or or, or start a business. Don't, Don't engage the city in which you live at all because it's almost coming to an end and we can finally go back to the land that God promised us. Two years to go, and the people, you can see how this would resonate with them. The people loved him for it. That was one voice, Hananiah. The other voice was a voice by a little known prophet named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said in 29, I've got bad news for everybody. In fact, it's not going to be two years. And Jeremiah says in verse 29, and let's read the passage in context this time. He says, starting 29, verse 4, Jeremiah says, Hey, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, I'm going to say, actually says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry. Marry Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Hananiah, <coughs> <coughs> do not listen, do not listen to the dreams, to the dreams you encourage them to have. Their prophesying lies to you in my name, God says. I have not sent him, sorry, them, declares the Lord. You can see how the message of Jeremiah lies in stark opposition to the message of Hananiah, right? Hananiah is saying, it's all going to be over soon. Just hang in there for a little while longer and you can escape out from it. And Jeremiah speaks and he goes, settle in. It's going to be a long haul. The way that Jeremiah talks about this this time period of the exile isn't so much like it's going to be months or a couple of years, but, but the way that the measure that he uses to talk about it is in generations. No, no. You will not get out. You will not leave exile. So, so you might as well settle in. You know, let's, let's think about your kids. Let's think about your grandkids. Let's think about the, the homes that you build and the businesses that you start and the land that you purchase. Let's think about the city in which you live because you're going to live there long enough to have an impact. And for the people, this was completely and utterly devastating because what they wanted wasn't a hard path forward. They wanted a quick and easy solution. They wanted the Hananiah option, not the Jeremiah one. See, the deep irony, the deep irony in this passage is that to, uh, to many people, like uh, pop culture we'll say at large, or like, I'm going to call it Christian light, um, would look at uh, Jeremiah the prophet and just like hear Jeremiah and immediately would go to like, oh, like plans to prosper, like prosperity and not to harm and, and hope in a future. Like Jeremiah, he's that guy that's super encouraging all the time, Right? Except for people that have read the book of Jeremiah, or at least just read, like, the little Bible introduction to the book of Jeremiah, are going to know, oh, no, 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 just the opposite. Like, this guy so consistently brought bad news that one time they threw him in a pit just because he was bringing bad news so often. And they didn't want to hear it anymore. Another time they tried to punish him and they, they like put him in stocks in the, city, in the city square because they wanted to, to just like silence him and make sure that every time he, he thinks about speaking another word from God, that he thinks twice about it and, and, and maybe doesn't. They, they sort of abided by, hey man, if I don't care if it's true or not, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all with a caveat of or we'll throw you in a pit. Like that's, Jer- Jeremiah isn't known as like, like happy, prosperity, like, like hope and future guy. Oh no, 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 Jeremiah is the opposite. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. Jeremiah is the guy who laments because all he has to bring the people all the time is consistently more bad news for them. You start to kind of read this from a historical angle and you're going like, I'm not sure that this passage was about Dirk's test grade. It wasn't at all. Now again, I don't want to discourage anybody, but by like, how are we supposed to know about like Hananiah and the exile and like all this stuff? You got to read a lot of the Bible to start putting some of this together, and that's true. However, what makes this passage so awesome and so unique, I think, is that we can we can understand some of the meaning simply by reading simply by reading one verse ahead of where we started. So not Jeremiah 29, 11. We're going to go Jeremiah 20, 10, which says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. When 70 years are completed, I'll come for you. In essence he's saying if you are old enough to read this if you are old enough to understand what I'm telling you then you are too old to ever leave this place. If you're old enough to hear what I'm telling you you're you're going to die here in exile. 70 years is way past the life expectancy. And there's no way that they're going to get to go back. That is an upsetting word. There's just no getting around it. I want you to read your situation in, if you could. like Whatever your, whatever your affliction is, whatever your pain is, whatever your sorrow, whatever suffering that you're walking through right now, And I want to just ask, honestly, no show of hands, don't tell the person next to you, none of that, just between you and God. I want you to ask, if I was there that day with my thing, whatever thing that it is, with my suffering, and I had two options laid before me, I had a Hananiah option and I had a Jeremiah option, which one would I go for? Because I know me, I... I know I am so deeply tempted to go with the Hananiah option, to go with the quick fix, to go with the easy out. I do not want to hear God tell me the path forward is that it's going to get worse before it gets better. I do not want God to hear that the path ahead requires pain, requires suffering. Because I think one of the components that's at the heart of this, one of the... One of the things I think that's at the heart of this is that on some level, I think we're all guilty. I know that I'm guilty as well. At the heart of this is some mistaken belief that I think that God wants me to be happy. I think that God wants me to be happy, healthy, and wise. I think that God, wa- I think that God wants to give me the things that I want, and so when, when I say, when I read things like, like plans to prosper you and, and hope in a future, I think God is going to give me all of the things that I want. And so, and so when suffering comes along, when pain comes along the way, I say happiness, it, this is not making me happy anymore. And so I run from the Jeremiah option and I settle into the Hananiah option that says this is just a temporary setback. God is going to fix this because after all, he wants me to be happy, Right? And the Jeremiah option is over here and saying, I never promised that I'm here to make you happy. I promised you that I would help make you holy. And the path forward may be remarkably difficult. But this is what is required in order to shape you, in order to shape me, form me, more and more in the likelihood in the likeness of Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's the promise. And all of the the prosperity and the hope in the future, it all arcs towards becoming more and more, living and loving more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the hope. That's the future. That's the prosperity that comes because what could be sweeter than a confident faith in likeness of Jesus Christ? What could be better of that? All right. But the I option wants to run away. And so in the face of some of this, I want to make a couple observations. The first one is like, uh, is, is not just reading from a historical angle or uh, maybe a, a word choice angle. By the way, every time, every time, the, for I know the plans I have for you, it's a plural for you all. <laughs> Plans to give you all a hope and you all a future. It's not just one individual. It's not just me. It's like, it's all of us. But besides the historical angle, besides the, the word choice angle, there's a message here about lining up every verse of the Bible with every verse of the rest of the Bible, <laughs> reading the whole Bible in context. And so I see the Hananiah option, I see the Jeremiah option lying before. And I think of Jesus telling the parable hundreds of years later, and he says, You know, there's like, of a farmer and he's, he's sowing, he's scattering the seed on the ground, which is the word of God. And he goes, you know, some of the seed, it lies on the, the path and the birds come and eat it. That's a lesson for another day. Some of the seed lies in the soil and the thorns come up and, uh, and choke that out. That's a lesson for another day. But, but with these two guys, with these two options, I think it's relevant. And Jesus is saying, you know, some of the seed, it lands, it lands in this rocky soil You know, and it's like it lands on the rocks, and it doesn't because it's on this hard surface. It doesn't grow anywhere but up. So, it consequently, you know, it can't go ground to the side. Consequently, it just shoots right up, and it looks like the best seed around. It looks like the most effective soil because, after all, this is the first green thing that you see is on the is on the rocky place, and it shoots right up, growing towards the sun. But when the sun gets hot, Jesus continues the parable, and he says it scorches it away because it never grew any roots. But by the same time, we'll say the Jeremiah option when it falls in the, on the good soil, see, it doesn't just spring up. It goes deep, it goes down, and then it goes to the sides, and then it goes up, all at the same time. So that as that grows up and the sun comes out, the sun, the sun doesn't scorch it. The sun nourishes it. Photosynthesis, seventh grade. You can look it up again. Uh, Right, but, but, but that's, that's why this is so important for us to get. Like that principle right there, right? Because the sun is coming up in your life. B- because there's something, the heat is getting turned up, The sun is coming out. And, and that external fat factor, whatever your whatever that sun is, whatever that pain is, whatever that affliction is, right, there's a way to approach that on the one hand where it will scorch you and kill you and game over with the hand and eye option. But at the same time, when the sun comes up, instead of scorching you, it nourishes you and it grows you and it strengthens you and it deepens your resolve and, and it continues to, to make you more and more holy and more and more like Jesus and give you further and further faith and depth. I want that. Want that for me, I want that for all of us. That no matter what, what that sun is, no matter what that scorching power is, that it doesn't harm us, it helps us, it makes us not necessarily happy, but it makes us holy. And God uses all of this, as we're told in Romans, for our good, to continue building us up, to continue pointing us more and more towards Him all the time. May we be the kind of people that reject simple answers. difficult questions. May we be the kind of people that reject easy solutions to extraordinarily complicated problems. May we reject Hananiah and his shallow roots. May we be the kind of people that struggle with nuance, that question back to God. May we be the kind of people that cling to God, even through the scorching sun, even through the furnace, Even through the pain, even through the affliction, because God is using that to do something. Nothing is beyond God's redemptive power. Nothing. We see this most clearly and most beautifully, not to mention most poignantly, when Jesus Christ, after his resurrection... Right? After he hung on the cross, after he died, after he suffered, after he walked through the furnace, walked through the pain, walked through the affliction, he starts showing up to his disciples. And some of them, one of them, didn't believe that Jesus was alive walking around. And Thomas, remember, comes up to Jesus, comes up to the other disciples when they tell him, Jesus is alive. And he says, Unl-, right? unless I see the wounds in his hands, unless I like, touch the scars, unless I, in the preposition is in, put my hand into his side where they dug the spear in, unless I do that graphic thing, unless I do that, he says, I will not believe. And then you know what Jesus does. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus shows up. And he sees Thomas, and he calls Thomas out. And this is so awesome. I love this so much. Jesus calls Thomas out in the most loving, confusing, challenging way possible. He comes up to Thomas, and he goes, Thomas, touch my hand. Like, put your hand over the scar where they drove the nails in only a few days earlier. And in that moment, we see something beautiful, because we see redemption. Not just with Thomas and his story, but we see redemption with just what God can do with affliction, with what God can do with pain, with what God can do with your exile, because we see Jesus not without scars. We see Jesus take those scars and say, what was once a symbol of pain and loss is now a symbol of glory. Because look at what God can do with something so ugly. As a man hanging on the cross, Thomas looks at those, at those scars, falls to his knees and says, because of this, I believe. And Jesus says to them in that room and all of us today, he says, blessed are those who believe that God is a God of redemption. Blessed are those who believe that God, that not, for God, nothing is outside of his redemptive power. Blessed are those of all of us who believe and have not yet seen what God does with the pain. And has not God done with the affliction or with the loss. And God's promise is that He will do something with it. He does have plans to prosper you all, not to harm you, but to give you all a hope and you all a future. God's promise is that He will do something with every bit of it. But it may take 70 years, and I don't have 70 left. But blessed are those who believe, who haven't seen God make good on his word yet. I want to leave you with an image because I think it's so so powerful. On our beautiful summer day, I want you to be reminded of this again and again and again. I want you to be reminded of this principle that the best growth, the most enduring growth, the deepest growth happens, not through the Hananiah escaping from trials, but with walking with God through them, having God show up and, and, and persevere in life through them, through you. That's the best growth. Um, the image is one of um, a, a little while little ways north. Dennis Deaton wrote this in a book, um, Ownership Spirit. It's, it's a little while north of, of Tucson, Arizona. And, uh, and what, the, what the deal was, some researchers got together and they thought, we really want to study what, uh, what, what uh, a big ecosystem, a macro ecosystem looks like in a closed environment, because we want to like duplicate this in, in far off remote places, even even in outer space. And so they made a, a three, little over three acre dome glass enclosure over this patch of ground, and they start and they start studying it, and they plant things there intentionally, and they and they and they start to grow things. Well, one of the things that they realized not too soon after they started, is that the trees would all grow to a certain height and then they just kind of like fall over. And it wasn't just one or two, it was like all the trees would grow to a certain height and then just fall over. And upon closer inspection, what they found is that the, is that the trees, because it lacked uh, wind, it, it lacked uh, eroding soil, moving uh, ground conditions, it, it lacked... Um, It provided every kind of nutrient immediately close to the tree trunk in the soil because the researchers put it in there. Because it lacked all these things, the trees, they never developed what's called um, compression wood or maybe stress wood. It never developed all of these tiny fibers in the tree that, that gave it strength. You see, as it just had everything that it needed and every moment, when it got to a certain level, it would just fall over. Like you, I pray often that God would remove a thorn from my side, that God would make something go easy, that God would lessen the pain and less, lessen the affliction and the suffering. And I just wonder if God isn't giving us not what we're asking for, not what we want, but what we need. I just can't help but wonder if God is saying, I'm strengthening something in you. I'm developing something in you. I'm growing something in you. We'll use this time. You are not forgotten about. You are not neglected. You are not left behind. I have not taken my hand off from you. In fact, this affliction feels exactly what it's like when my hand is on you closer than ever before. Blessed are you who believe that, even when you haven't seen it. But you just stay sitting. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, you're growing something inside of us. And we don't know what that is all the time. But God, you do have a plan. And you are prospering us, giving us hope, and giving us a future. And God, it's it's our prayer that you would start to you start to move our hearts and, and bend our wills so that they lie more closely next to yours. Uh, God, we resist growth. We resist challenge. We resist struggle because we want the hand and eye option. We want the easy way out. But God, you've given us something better than an easy way out. You've given us your presence, your Holy Spirit. You've given us your perseverance to see us through whatever comes next. And whether we get to see that beautiful thing on the other side or not, we're blessed because of this gift of faith that you have given us. It's in your name, Jesus Christ, that we pray all these things. Amen.